welcome to the Open Government Podcast. I'm Richard Pietro. And I'm Samir Vasa. Each episode of the Open Government Podcast will be bringing you an interview with someone working on open government and citizen engagement in their community. And today we're speaking with Mark Gaylor, who's a technology strategist at Microsoft Canada. And as many of you probably know by now, um, Make Web Not War is Microsoft's foray into open source and make and make web not war was the patron of the open government tour. But I had a chance to meet Mark at a couple of events on the tour, uh, more specifically in Vancouver and in Calgary. And he was talking about this really neat concept. And I'd like for you to share with uh, share that with us today, Mark, this idea of chargeable data versus open data. So hi guys, uh, thanks very much for inviting me to the podcast and uh, yeah, it was fun meeting you Richard and uh, I'm glad we got to pay for some of your gas to get you around the country, so <laughs> so that was great. Um, yeah, I mean I think this is an interesting concept because what we sometimes hear from the community and even sort of government organizations is, well, on one hand they might say they might have some uh, reticence about open data because they might say, well, you know, this is a source of revenue for us and therefore uh, we, you know, we're a bit reluctant to, to kind of just give this out for free and make this open. And on the other hand, we might hear from the community, well, the, the government shouldn't be charging for this data. You know, we own it already. It's, we pay taxes and so we have a right to this data. And I think, I think the, 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 uh, the concept of charging for data and making it available free as open data, I think these are not incompatible uh, concepts or, uh, or initiatives. And in fact, there are examples where already that, you know, we've seen uh, that this can, that, that, that chargeable data and open data can live together in peace and harmony. And I'll come back to an example in a second. But I think the reason why this can work, and I think, I think the reason why it would be good and it's healthy for the open data community if, if it does work is, is, is for the following reasons. Number one, um, open data is obviously making, uh, is about making data available to the community at large and really making that data available in a raw, um, kind of unfiltered, unaggregated format so that the citizen or developer or uh, community of interest gets access to the raw data so that they have the freedom to do with it what they want. I mean, that's a very powerful, fundamental concept of open data. Um, this means that there are opportunities for governments and, frankly, third parties to uh, process that data and add value to it in some way that may be considered useful. And whether adding value to that data, then there is an opportunity for them to charge for it. And I think this is a good thing. I mean, if, uh, if you're providing data raw, uh, that, that's one thing. But if you're then adding a value-added service to it, then I think that gives a government the legitimate right to charge for that service. And we're talking about a real added value service here rather than just the, the, the cost for processing of the data. If, I, if I'm getting access to the raw data, uh, in the good old days, I would you know, typically go into, say, City Hall and I would, might get a printout of some data, say a building permit or zoning information or GIS information. Um, but uh, if it's just the act of printing that information or processing that information, then that's probably not justifiable in, it, in of itself. Um, if the government entity is legitimately adding a value-added service to that data, then I think we, have, we can see where there's uh, a reason to charge for that data and indeed a reason for the community to purchase that data. So let me give you an example. 
the city of Calgary, I think, does this very well. Uh, they uh, have a, uh, an online system called City Online, um, and uh, their City Online portal uh, enables you to get access to open data uh, as well as chargeable data. So, for example, I can get access to uh, GIS information, mapping information through the City of Calgary. I can do that through the open data portal. I can do it free of charge. Um, however, if I'm uh, a realtor in the, in the city of Calgary, I can actually purchase customized reports based on my requirements through the same portal. And when the city processes those reports and formats them in a way that they have, they have value to me, uh, I am actually charged for that. It's not a big charge, but it's, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a valid charge for that service, and I understand that the service is quite popular. So I think this is a good example where open data and chargeable data can live by, side by side in a relatively uh, uh, harmonistic fashion. I like so sorry if that was sorry if that was a long-winded answer to your question. It was exactly what we're looking for, and I like the the use kind of peace and harmony as a, as you, as as the framing for this because it, it really does make sense that these two things can can live together. One of the things that we found that um, often seem incompatible, but I'm gonna guess you're gonna argue that aren't incompatible is the role of kind of business entrepreneurs and corporations in this open government space. And a lot of what the examples you gave, you talked about realtors, you talked about businesses, yet there are a lot of people who are hesitant to say, you know, businesses or the private sector should get involved in open government. What do you think about that? What do you why do you think there is a hesitance and how can we overcome that? Well, I think there's a hesitance. Uh, again, it depends. It depends which of the 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 actors in the environment you you look at. I mean, we have to remember that businesses have been involved in the in the act of sharing data for some time. You know, if you think of like retail industry sharing demographic data, uh, you think about uh, commercial organisations uh, using mapping data from the government. So, so they're very familiar with with consuming this data and indeed providing that data in in one sense. I think where we come up against incompatibility is where businesses consider that data is a natural part of their IP or competitive advantage. That's where it gets a bit more tricky for them to be sharers of data themselves. I mean, a, a very simple example I would give you is I wonder if Netflix, for example, at one point had a you, you could ha they, they provided an open API into their catalog of uh, uh, movies and uh, content, uh, and that was quite interesting because you could build apps and services against that API. However, they didn't share the, or I, I don't believe they shared the algorithms that allow them to kind of measure uh, consumer sentiment or ratings and that kind of thing, which, of course, they have used now to start developing content. And my expectation, I don't know this for a fact, but I would guess that they would be less reluctant or more reluctant to share that kind of information than they would, say, contents of their, uh, their catalogue. So I think I think organ businesses. Uh, I think it's wrong to assume that businesses don't naturally share data. I don't think that's true. Uh, and if you look at analysts like Forrester and Gartner, they've done studies which show that there there are trillions of dollars of revenue potential out of businesses sharing data amongst themselves. And many businesses already do that. Again, if you go on to say some of the aggregate marketplaces like uh, the Azure marketplace from uh, uh, Microsoft, for example, you'll find lots of examples there of, of data that's being shared both for free and, you know, that has a commercial charge associated with it. But I think that's where we see this tension is where some data is, is obvious or naturally in the public domain and uh, other data may be considered to be, you know, valuable from an IP or a competitive advantage perspective. But I don't think it means that all of these actors can, don't have a role to play in the open data uh, 
uh, uh, environment overall. Now, I'd like to bring my own personal perspective on this, Mark, and you, you may be familiar with it. I know Samir is very much familiar with it, but I think one of the reluctance from the public per- perspective is that fundamentally open data is being built as a way to create social good. The, the, that's the motivation, is to bring and make stronger communities. The mandate, especially from a large corporation like, say, Microsoft, is to satisfy your stakeholders and the profit and the bottom line. And I think that's where a lot of that disconnect can happen. And that's why I'm really pleased with things like B Corp and the triple bottom line. But I'd like to hear a bit more from you on, on how that connection from the big monster like Microsoft or whatever trying to make as much money as they can fits into this more social perspective of open data. Well, again, I, 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 I'm going to take a fairly simplistic view. I don't think these things are mutually exclusive. Um, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a, self, uh, it's a self-regulating argument. If you look at one of the reasons, one of the core reasons that governments share open data, it's to encourage third-party organizations to use that data for their benefit, right? Because they, you know, arguably they already own that data anyway. So if we see examples where organizations, startups, entrepreneurial organizations have started up and started to use that data to their advantage, then we, that's something we want to do. We want to encourage that. So I would kind of argue why, how would you distinguish that usage of open data versus more established corporations that, that are both consumers and providers of open data, albeit at, at different scales, of course. I mean, let me give you a very simple example. You know, homegrown here in Vancouver, we have the very successful story of Recollect.net, or some folks may remember it as Vantrash. That organization, uh, you know, that organization now is it's 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 it employs people. They're 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 growing and expanding. They're very successful. Um, clearly, they they're going to charge revenue for their service. It's a very good service. I think it's a it's a fantastic example of where you can charge. Uh, a, a commercial fee for a very valid use of open data, data, but that organization is dependent on cities sharing information around garbage collection and garbage schedules. So I think these things are not mutually incompatible, and I think there are opportunities for both small and large companies to to take benefit from it and, and deliver uh, benefit back into the community as a result. I could talk about the role of the private sector in open <laughs> government all day, so this is great. But sadly, we do have to wrap up quickly. wanted to quickly ask uh, before we go, is there any place that we can find more online about your thoughts, uh, where they, people can follow you to learn more or even contact you? Yeah, so uh, for Microsoft, so I'm part of the Microsoft, uh, in this respect, for this kind of conversation, I've been part of the Microsoft uh, openness team. So if you go to microsoft.com slash openness, you'll find a lot of information about uh, what we're doing uh, in, as, in Microsoft as a corporation around uh, open data and open government uh, and open source technologies for that matter. Uh, in Canada here, if you just do a search on Make Web Not War, you will get to uh, the excellent work done by Keith and the Canadian uh, openness team around open data, open government, and uh, open source initiatives. And you also have a Twitter account, which is M-A-G-A-Y-L-E-R, M-A-Gaylor, right? That's, that's me. So I am M-A-Gaylor at Microsoft.com, I'm M-A-Gaylor at Hotmail.com, and I'm M-A-Gaylor on Twitter. Thank you so much, Mark, from, uh, you know, for participating in this. And 
although I'm a tough audience, especially when it comes to big corporations, you know, Make Web Not War was my patron, and I know you guys are trying to make those efforts and, and sort of, you know, providing a different perspective on, on how Big Corp can play in this conversation, and I do appreciate it. Well, we loved uh, working with you, uh, uh, Richard. It was, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. And uh, if folks want to, you know, find out more information, go to www.webnotwar.ca, and uh, that's where we live. Great. Thanks again, Mark. That was Mark Gaylor from Microsoft Canada on the Open Government Podcast. Thanks again for joining us today, and we'll be back soon with our next interview with someone in the Open Government community. And if you've got any questions about today's episode or if you'd like to speak to Mark directly, he gave you all of his contact information, including email. I think he's a little bit more brave than I would be. But at the same time, Mark is a maverick from what I hear in the Microsoft community. So uh, don't hesitate to reach out to him. You can always tweet on the the, the podcast hashtag, which is OGTPod. My Twitter handle is Richard Pietro. I'm at Vasta. And thanks again to Keith McDonald for making, uh, providing the music for the podcast. All right, guys. Until next time. We'll see you around. And thanks for listening. Thanks.